Good morning. Take a seat. Kids, how are we doing this morning? Kids, I want you kids to put a hand up, scale of one to five, five being the best day ever, one being you're a little tired or something. How are we doing this morning? I see a couple fives, a two. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Phil, Phil's a three back there. That's great. Yeah. I'm excited to be here this morning. Kids, um, thanks for joining us this morning. Be listening carefully. I'm going to need your help in a few minutes. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. But I'm really excited to be here this morning and to share with you uh, my new favorite verse. It's not every day that that might happen to you. I've, I found, I've come across my new favorite verse, and I've read it before, I'm sure. But about back in October, it, it struck me in a powerful way. And so this morning, we want to unpack that a little bit. Um, but before we get there, I want to quickly give you a little background to this verse. Okay. You have a guy by the name of Paul. Paul is a superstar, and he's got a friend by the name of Silas, and they're going around doing these missionary adventures together. And they find themselves in this city called Thessalonica. And um, he and si- Paul and Silas were, were in the synagogue preaching. And as was custom for Paul, they spent three days in the synagogue persuading and teaching and explaining reasons, um, scripture and reasons behind and meaning behind scripture and the relevancy of Jesus Christ. And this um, verse that we're going to show in a little bit, it's found in Acts. And Luke, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And Luke mentions that some people in the synagogue got it. Some people were persuaded to ditch their idols and follow Jesus Christ. But, as was to be expected, Luke also mentions that a lot of people got really upset really upset. And so what, they, what Luke details is um, these religious people who got upset found other um, religious people and they formed this big mob and set the city in an uproar, Luke says. And they go around and they um, start looking for Paul and Silas. They couldn't find them. And they start knocking on all the doors of family and friends um, that Paul and Silas had um, developed relationships with um, through the, the months and time that they were there. They couldn't find him. And finally, they come to this guy named Jason's house. I didn't realize, Joe and I were talking about this earlier, I didn't realize Jason was a biblical name until it stuck out to me um, you know, earlier. But they go to this guy named Jason's house. They knock on his door. They, Luke says they drag him out of his house. And they say this quote. This is Acts 17, verse 6. This is my new favorite verse. They say, these men, referring to Paul and Silas, who have turned this world upside down, have come here. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I can probably um, say that you've been called a lot of negative things over the course of your life. You've been called intolerant. You've been called a hypocrite. You've been called a fanatic or you fill in the blank. And I've been there and I've heard those things. But at least it's been my experience, I've never been called someone who's turning this world upside down. But I think about that, that imagery and I think, wow, what if the people of Shoreview, the people of the Twin Cities, looked at Emmanuel Covenant Church not as the homeless church who meets in a community center, but as this church who's turning the world upside down? Or what if when your family, your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers look at you and say, man, that Phil Nelson guy, he is crazy. But he is, he is passionate about his God, and he is turning this world 
upside down. That's, that's been my prayer for the past, uh, ever since I came across it again, since like October. That, that's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for this church. For my, my prayer for you individually that sometime you get labeled as, as that. As someone who's turning this world upside down. And this week, we're in the third week of our series, Simple Way to Wreck Your Life. And specifically what I want to press into this morning is what benefit is there for you to step outside of your comfort zone? What benefit is there? Because I argue a simple way to wreck your life is to protect your comfort zone, to stay put, to don't move, to be safe, to be comfortable. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to do nothing. But I, I, we'll, we'll go through this together, but I argue that it will wreck your life. I have a true story I want to share with you, I've told my high school students this before, so this won't come to a surprise to you. Uh, you're forewarned. It's a little, it's just odd. I can't explain it. And if you do have any revelations behind any significance for my life, please let me know, because I've been looking for 10 plus years on this. But I don't know what the best word is for this, but I've been stalked by a number. Okay, I've been stocked by a number, and the number is 1013. Okay, 1013. I noticed this for the first time. I am at a, a sleepover with my friend Gage, and I'm going to bed, and, and the last time I looked at the clock that night, it was 1013. And then I wake up the next morning, and the first time I look at the clock, it's 1013. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then, I kid you not, that was like back when I was 12. Every time... I look at the clock, whether it's in the morning or at night around this time. It's not 10:12, it's not 10:14, it's 10:13. Now that's you might think, well, that's whatever. Then I started noticing this in other areas of my life. I noticed my favorite radio station, 101.3. I started noticing my best friend's birthday, 10:13. My other best friend's phone number, 944, 10:13. My last four digits of my driver's license, 1013. My favorite TV show at the time, X-Files. If you remember that show, anybody? Maybe just me. Produced by a company, 1013 Productions. Then, I don't know if anybody remembers this, um, a movie, I don't know when it came out, with Jim Carrey called Number 23. I don't know. I never saw it simply because of this and because I think the ending reveals that Jim Carrey is crazy which I didn't want to be affirmed in that. I think so. But it's a story, from what I gathered, of this movie where um, 23 would, the number 23 would stalk Jim Carrey everywhere he went. And all these different numerical combinations and things would just appear and follow him everywhere he went. And I started thinking, what's 10 plus 13? 23. And so it was... I, so I know... Yeah, okay. Now, what... Um, for 364 days out of the year, it didn't affect me. Like, it was just weird. Can't explain it. But on 10-13, on October 13th especially, if it fell on Friday the 13th, <laughs> I, I would be a caveman. I'm not kidding. I, I remember one time in college, um, I'm, I'm living with John Helly, and I sat on my couch on 10-13, watched an entire season of 24, <laughs> did not move from my couch, ate Doritos and Easy Mac and some Coke all day. Didn't move. And as, as I was preparing for this message this morning, I was outlining what I wanted to share. And I look at the clock, and like clockwork, it's 
And I think, wow, how many Christians share a similar story? And here's what I mean by that. It is easy for Christians and non-Christians alike to, to, to pursue comfort, and once they have comfort, to protect it with everything they have. So you have your little comfort zone. And for me, that was my dorm room. And anything outside of your dorm room are the unknowns, are the anxieties, are the fears, the things that you perceive you can't control. And so as a Christian who's trying to balance my comfort zone with everything out there that I can't control, what's the Christian response? We just stay put. We just stay put. And it's, it's not easy. It's natural. It comes naturally to us. And it's also the message that the culture sends to you, that the comfortable life, that the safe life, it can be pursued, it can be bought. And they sell it up. They wrap it up and sell it to you like your favorite arcade game, kids, your favorite arcade game. When you run out of lives, when you run out of time, when you run out of energy, you can just put four more credits in, and you can extend it even further. It drives me... It, this is me speaking personally, okay? It drives me nuts that Christians, myself included, a lot of my life, and I still can struggle with this a lot, is we play it so safe. And when you live inside your comfort zone, what happens is comfort easily becomes your God. God then becomes your crisis call when you need him the most. And you can easily wreck your life because you're missing out on what God has in store for you. Jeremiah talks about these are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. I want to I say that one more time. I, I believe that when we stay inside our comfort zone, comfort becomes our God. God becomes our crisis call. And we can wreck our life because we miss out on what God has in store for us. Plans that are meant to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And so what I want to do is I want to take that message of Acts 17 right now, and I want to quickly go back and, and paint a picture, a very concise, very brief picture of Paul before he was Paul. Um, before he was Paul the superstar building the kingdom of God, he was Saul the super superhero tearing down the Christian church. Okay, here is a guy who is going one one direction in life. One direction. And it was full steam ahead. And it was fueled by a passion and hatred for Jesus Christ and his followers. And so what I want to do before we get into anything else, I want to go over um, some things, uh, some qualities or characteristics of, of Paul when he was a guy by the name of Saul. And the first one is this. Uh, Acts 8. Luke identifies that Saul or Paul approved the stoning of this guy named Stephen. Saul had a lot of power. He had the thumbs up and thumbs down to go ahead with a lot of these things. He said, yep, Stephen, that follower of Jesus Christ, he needs to go. Let's kill him. Next chapter, Luke adds this specific quote. He says, Paul or Saul uttered threats with every single breath and was eager to kill Jesus' followers. This wasn't just a job for Saul. This wasn't like, I'm punching in, I'm punching out, I'm collecting a paycheck. This was, I find enjoyment pursuing you, and when I find you, to do harm to you. And, that, and this isn't just Luke saying this as, a, as a, some um, neutral bystander. Paul, in his own words, um, affirms this. In his own writings, um, in, in Philippians 3, he says, I was a zealot to, to harshly persecute the church. I enjoyed it. Luke's right, I enjoyed doing that. 
And later in 1 Timothy 1, Paul describes himself as the chief among all sinners. And so you see this picture of this guy going in one direction, relentlessly, passionately in life, fueled by hatred for Jesus Christ. I want to quick take a 30-second time out from that, and I need everybody to come back and to play, uh, help me um, with a little word game that I have. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you all a word. Okay, and I need you to find the right balance of blurting the first thing that comes to your mind and filtering through to make sure it's clean and appropriate. Okay, so <laughs> find that balance. And, and I need everybody to do this. Say whatever comes to your mind. Here we go. First word is this. Uh, let's go running a marathon. How many of you have run a marathon? Good for you. Wow. Good for you. Maybe next summer, Dan. Maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. All right, how about this one? This one's a, a huge um, fan of mine right now. Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. Rubio. Rubio. Ricky Rubio. That's what I would say. Love it. How about this? Winter. Fun. Good for you. How about meatloaf the food? How about Meatloaf the Singer? Last word is this. What do you think of when you hear the word collision? Okay, I heard a lot of different words, but to be expected, I heard things like ouch. I heard things like bang. I heard things like crash. The word collision carries a lot of negative connotations, and I get that. If I were to tell you tomorrow you're going to be in a collision, you're going to be a little bit or maybe a lot of bit freaking out because you're going to be thinking of, ouch. You're going to be thinking of car crash. You're going to be thinking of accident. You're going to be thinking of all these things that you want to avoid. But I want to argue this morning that um, the word collision doesn't have to have negative con- connotations. The w- a word I want to use interchangeably this morning is a word change is a word change. Change happens because two things, two objects, two people, or any combination therein, collide. That's what change is. It's physics. We know that to be true. If I'm on my course and I don't collide with anything, there's no change. I'm continuing on my course. But collision happens. Change happens when something collides. And while that's, and we know this to be true, that the bigger the collision, the bigger the change. That's physics. And while that's true in the physical sense, it also is true for in, in many intangible ways. So having this framework of collision and change in your mind, there's a story of, of Saul and a collision that he had on the road to Damascus. And I say it's a collision based on the change that results in Saul after. So remember we have Saul, and he's going in this one um, straight and narrow direction, passionately hating Jesus Christ and his followers. And in one instant on this road to Damascus, he collides with God, and God says, Saul, stop persecuting my church. That passion that you have, I like it. I gave that to you. It's a gift. But now I want you to use it, and now I want you to go in the complete opposite direction, and I want you to use it to build my kingdom. And I talk about a 180-degree turn in someone's life because we have a guy who's going so passionate one way, colliding and then going even more passionately in the other way because now he's fueled by the Holy Spirit. After Paul's collision with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, it was a turning point in his life. 
and a turning point in history where the rest of the world would be changed and whereby eventually this guy would be labeled by the world as someone who's turning this world upside down. And what we also see is after the road, um, after this collision on the road to, the, to Damascus, we see and read a lot about Paul's journey thereafter. The journey, the path that he's on um, that leads up to Acts 17, my favorite verse, as well as the path that he traveled thereafter. And it is a road, and we're going to take a look at it in a very brief way this morning. It is a road marked with constantly stepping outside of a comfort zone. I would even argue he wasn't even stepping outside. He was just living outside of the comfort zone because he wanted to collide with Jesus Christ wherever he was going. He wanted to collide because when you collide, change happens. So what I've done this morning is, is I've, um, on the left-hand column, we have some of the comforts that this world has to offer, some things that were true then that are true now. And then what I've also done is, is demonstrated or tried to highlight how Paul responded to those comforts. The first one is this. I call it straight-line mentality. This is the comfort of rhythm and routine in your life going in a direction that just makes sense to you. And to help demonstrate this, I need my kids. Kids, I need you. Drop whatever you have. Come on forward quickly and quietly. And I also need Joel Come on, and Dan. Why not Dan? Let's, let's try double. Dan doesn't know he's getting called up. Okay, kids, come on up. How are we? We're good? Okay. So, I don't know if any of you have learned this in school yet. Some of you might have. Oh, you have? Oh. <laughs> Impressive. Okay, you learn in math. I think it's usually math that you learn it. That the closest distance between two points is what? Anybody know? It's a straight line. Straight line. The closest, the closest point or distance between two points is a straight line. So we're going to help demonstrate this. And here's what I want you to do. What you're going to do is you're going to race these two guys over here. You're going to race them. Okay, now here's how the race is going to work. When I say go, you're going to go to this side over here, and you're going to touch the wall. Okay, when I say go, your job is to jog quickly over and touch that wall. Okay, and you have to beat these two guys before they have to run their course. Does that make sense? Okay, so right now I want you to head right over there. Dan and Joel, here's what they're going to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to touch that wall. And when I say go, your job is to weave in and out of all these chairs on this side and then touch the wall. And your job is to beat the kids. You got it? Hi. Let's go over here. You're going to get trampled on. There we go. And we'll... Okay. So, it's a lot easier with three kids in the first service. Okay. Don't push each other. Everybody, personal space is good. When I say go, you're going to go from there to there, and you're going to beat these two guys. Are we ready? Are you ready? Go. Touch the wall, touch the wall. Touch the wall. Close, kind of. Round of applause, everybody, round of applause. Kids, you can go sit down. 
So what you see, and, and this is, um, if you can go to that first slide, um, Mike, the comfort that this world has to offer, it's ingrained within you at a very early age, is the closest, you know, the easiest path from birth to retirement is school, and then you're going to work. And you're going to work really hard, work really hard, work really hard, and then once you work really, really hard, then you can retire. When I retire, I'm golfing with Steve Schmidt and John Helley. That's what I'm doing. Okay, it's, it's a straight line. That's what I'm doing. And that's what the comfort of this world tells you. Straight line, go get it. In Acts, 7, in Acts 16, the, the chapter before um, my favorite verse, you read a story of Paul being led by the Spirit. If you can go to the next um, graphic, Mike. When you're led by the Spirit, it brings you all over the place. All over the place. And here's a story in Acts 16, and I encourage you to check it out and read more um, for yourself. But the story goes, Paul feels a sense from the Spirit, I need to go to this place. And so for the common person, they're going to take a straight line there. Um, Paul, every step along the way, he's praying, Spirit, what would you have me do? And throughout this journey, the Spirit says, I don't want you to go there. Even though it may be right in the way, I actually want you to avoid it. I want you to walk around it. And then when you get to that place, I don't want you to preach there, which you might be thinking that's weird, but I don't want you to do that. When you're led by the Spirit, it's, it's going to look differently. It's going to look uncomfortable because for me and my perspective, it's a straight line. That's what the world teaches. That's what the comfort is. It's a straight line. But when you're led by the Spirit, it may be a straight line, but you don't know. Comfort two. Number two is that of money, and this is something... Um, for many people in our culture, it's something we need to be very aware of, being too comfortable with our money. And again, in Acts 16, there's this, um, the, there's this story of Paul and Silas encountering a slave girl. <clears throat> and she has the ability to tell the future. She's a fortune teller, and she's making banks. She's making a lot of money for her owners. Okay? And, and the funny thing and the interesting about this is that this fortune-telling girl is actually affirming Paul and Silas. She's actually saying, these people who are coming, Paul and Silas, they come in the name of the God Most High. Which some of you might be thinking, well, that's great. What, what's bad about that? The language that, that Luke uses, it's really funny. He says, Paul, Paul got so annoyed by this lady, by this girl. And, and, and he said, casts out the spirit from her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out. And instantly, the spirit left this slave girl. Because Paul realized, look, you say you're on the same team as me. You talk like you're on the same team as me, but you're not on my team. You're in this right now to make money, to make a career for you and your owners. I'm in this to preach the message of Jesus Christ. We are not on the same team. And in an instant, the, the business, the, the money-making ability of this girl was stripped from them. Comfort number three, there's a couple that tie in here. Uh, one is the comfort of loving yourself and hating your enemies. That's comfortable. Loving yourself and not loving those who don't love you. Another one is, is the comfort of convenience, doing what's convenient. Um, after, one thing I have noticed in my life is when you do challenge people with their money, you tend to offend people very quickly. That's just is what happens. And so after Paul and Silas um, kind of disturbed the peace a little bit and they cast this spirit out of the slave um, fortune-telling girl, they get thrown in jail. And what happens, um, if you read the account for yourself in Acts 16, 
is they get miraculously freed, and the gate is wide open. The door is wide open for them to go. And the comfortable thing for most people would be, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. This is not comfortable. There's the door. It's wide open. I'm going to sprint as fast as I can through that door and never look back. That's comfortable. What Paul and Silas did is they, they, stuck, they stuck around, and they used it as an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ to the jailkeeper. And the jailkeeper was freaking out that he was going to lose his job because he couldn't do his job. The people who were supposed to be watched are now leaving. And they understood that it's not convenient. The convenient thing to do would be to leave, but I'm using this as an opportunity to talk about my God. Last one is this. Um, this actually is found in a few chapters um, after Acts 17. Um, and it's the comfort of avoiding unsafe. The world tells you, our culture tells you to pursue comfort and to avoid unsafe. And if you get to unsafe, run as quickly as you can. Acts 20 and Acts 21, um, Luke details that, that Paul was being led by the Spirit again to Jerusalem. And he sensed from the Spirit that jail and suffering were waiting him there. And as he's journeying toward Jerusalem, he's not stopping, he's not turning back. He comes across this prophet who affirms what the Spirit's been saying. The prophet says, look, Paul, what you got going on there, what awaits you there, is unpleasant. It's unsafe for you. And then he adds something that the Spirit didn't add. He said, why would you go? It's unsafe there. Don't go. And Paul's response was this. He said, I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Paul to kind of um, captures this um, experience in his own words. Um, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 11. This is kind of the catch-all. Okay, so he's writing to the church of Corinth here, and he's saying, okay, you want to know that the path that I've been on? If you're curious, let me explain just a little bit about the post-collision path that I've been on. Here's what he says. He says, I have endured countless beatings, often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's a daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the church. Make no mistake about that when you read through it. Paul knew that this was coming. He knew it was coming. And he had decision-making power every step along the way. God did not force him to go through that. At any point in time, he could have just said, I'm, I'm turning around. I'm going back. This is too much for me. But he realized, and in his own words, he said, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on to win the heavenly prize for which God was calling me. So that in these weaknesses... When it looks like I'm weak, Christ's strength will prevail. And it will be his name that will be glorified in everything that I do and everything that I endure. Christ's name. 
And likewise, what he says after that is he says, learn from me. Learn from what I've been through. Run the race in such a way as to win the prize. And so as Christians, to come back to this collision change language, we should be like Paul, individuals who are always pursuing change. Because we should always be pursuing to be more and more like Jesus Christ, and we're never there. There's always room to grow. And so with that in mind, we should always be pursuing change, which means we should always be pursuing collisions with Jesus Christ, because when collisions happen, change happens. That's what happens. And so for you note-takers this morning, I encourage you to write down a few things. Um, The first is this. I think there's some um, fill-in-the-blanks. I I say this. God uses collisions between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world to bring about change, both in us and others. God uses collisions between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world to bring about change. And the second um, principle here that follows very closely is this. When we step outside of our comfort zone in God-honoring ways, that's very important, in God-honoring ways, we dramatically increase the likelihood of collisions that transform. When we step outside of our comfort zone in God-honoring ways, we greatly increase the likelihood of these collisions that will transform us. And that makes sense. When you're in your comfort zone, in some way, you are dependent on, you are, you are being pulled um, with the things that this world has to offer. Your faith is being put in the things that this world has to offer. When you are outside of your comfort, you don't have those things anymore to depend on, and the only person you can depend on to get through is Jesus Christ. As Chris mentions this quite often, um, or frequently anyway, when we are inside, we have this valve, Chris mentions a valve of that we can turn on or off that opens up the spirit to work and move in us. And when we're inside our comfort zone, we're turning off that valve for the spirit to work and move. And so I have two very concrete, practical things that I encourage you, I challenge you to do. And the first is this. It's on your sheet as well. This year, right now, tomorrow, Think about, pray about, and take a concrete step this year that will take you outside of your comfort zone. And you want to, if you want to know where to start, I would encourage you to write this down. This is where I encourage you all to start, and I encourage you to do this as soon as we walk out these doors. Write this down. Identify in your life what's too comfortable. If you don't know where to go, start with that question. What in my life is too comfortable? Ask God to show you. He'll show you. What in my life is too comfortable? Is it money? Is it your time? Is it the friends that you have? Is it your job? Whatever it might be, God, what in my life is too comfortable? And the second challenge that I have for you is once you've identified that, courageously pray for God to bring collisions in your life that will change you for the better. And if you want to know a good place to start with this, I encourage you to write this down. <clears throat> Focus less on the change that you want to see happen in your life and focus more on putting yourself in a position to be changed. Focus less on the change that you want to see and more on just putting yourself in position to be changed. I, I, I found myself 
different times in my life, praying for different people that God would change them in that way. It's easy to do. God, change that person. Make that person more patient with me. Make that person whatever. And, and as I've prayed about that, God's just been telling me, Tim, your job is to pray, to love, and to serve. Let me focus and, and worry about changing people. I think too often we get focused on, here's what I want to change, here's how I'm going to change it. Let God focus on that. You just put yourself in a position for that collision to happen and see where God takes you. I remember um, probably the biggest <clears throat> collision spiritually uh, in this framework of my life to date, um, and, and Chris shares a similar story, uh, was when I went to um, Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez, Mexico. Uh, it was four years ago. <clears throat> was our first trip. I'm 24 at the time. And number one, it was outside of my comfort zone, and that, and I'm ashamed of this. Okay, so I say this not proudly at all. At that point in life, I was too scared to even set foot in like South Minneapolis because of the stupid stereotypes that I had. Okay, so now with that perspective, I find myself in what many people consider to be the world's most dangerous city. And not only was I going there, that was in and of itself outside of comfortable for me. I was leading a team down there. And I was leading a team down there of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. And I remember um, getting some angry phone calls and emails in the weeks leading up to the trip. I remember one mom calling me and saying, you are so stupid for going down there. You are so dumb. You're 24, or how, you're, you know, that's a decision you have to make. I think it's stupid. But what's worse is how dare you bring my 18-year-old baby down there with you? How dare you do that? And I, um, I wrestled through that long and hard. and had several good conversations with people that I know and trust, as well with God. And as I wrestled through that, I got to a point of peace where God just said, Tim... Seek me first. Seek me first. There's, um, when you are, have an obedient heart, God uses that for change. It's nothing special that I did. It's nothing special that anybody does to go down there. It's just having in your, in yourself an, an obedience to go where God wants you to go. And when you're going where God wants you to go, there's no better place in your life to be, period. It's as simple as that. There's no better place for you to be. But you need to be putting yourself in position for those collisions to happen because a big collision happened um, with me when I was down there in a way that I'd never collided with God before. My perspective of um, time and money and life changed when I was down there. My perspective of... My God and my faith changed. My perspective of what matters and what doesn't matter changed. My perspective of things God cares about and the things I hadn't been caring about because I'm too focused on the things that this world cares about, it changed. And like I said, it's nothing, it's nothing special. It is nothing special. It's just having an obedient heart to say, God, give me the eyes to see where you want me to go and the courage to walk where you want me to be. Clarity and courage.
Acts 17, um, chapter 6, is my f- new favorite verse because it casts this vision of two ordinary guys that God used to do extraordinary things. And newsflash to all of us here, that's us. There's nothing special about us. But for some reason, God decided that he's going to bring about kingdom change through ordinary people. But that change begins with us in this room. The change begins with you. It begins with me. Kingdom change can't happen out there if we're not changed and transformed people. So imagine to yourself what life would be like if we as transformed and changed people began colliding with people outside of here. The poor, the sick, the widow, those in prison. What if we began colliding with people in our jobs, at Super Target, down the hall, within our family and friends? But it involves us taking that step and doing something. You are forewarned right now that this will be, I almost guarantee, the first and only time in your life that a teacher is going to end with an illustration from this movie. So prepare yourself. Many of you I know are going to appreciate this. If you can go to this. Um, this, Okay. For those of you that don't know, growing up, this is one of my favorite movies. This is Dumb and Dumber. That's Lloyd and Harry. Two ordinary guys just out on an adventure to change the world. And sometimes, I, I, maybe I am crazy. That's just the affirmation I need. But my mind goes in weird places. And when I was thinking about how I want to close this message, I thought of these two guys on their scooter out to change the world. And behind them, right back there, here's my analogy, the semi is God. And here's what I want to know from you. When scooters and when semis collide, who wins? A semi is going to win every single time. Every single time when a semi and a scooter collide, which in the movie they don't, but the imagery is there. When the collision happens, the semi wins every single time. When we collide with Jesus Christ with an obedient heart, he wins every single time because he's Jesus Christ. But it means and it involves of us to take that step and get on our scooter and do something about it. And so I want to challenge you this morning, do not waste this opportunity and leave this door without thinking this through. Do not let the sunset go down this today without praying and reflecting on God. What in my life is too comfortable? And God, give me the courage to step out of that. And when I do that, bring about collisions in my life that will transform me. Don't waste this opportunity. I want to close in prayer. God, um, I thank you for who you are. I thank you um, that you love us so much. I thank you that you desire for all of us to know you in a deep and real way. God, um, for some reason, you decide to bring about kingdom change through us. And, and for me, and I'm sure for many of us, that at times seems very overwhelming. We feel under-equipped. But God, with your spirit, that's what you've called us to do. So God, I pray for two things as we leave this morning. I pray, number one, that you will give every single one of us a clarity to see and to identify what in our life is too comfortable. And number two, I pray that you will give us all courage to follow that clarity, courage to take the steps that we've identified we need to take, God. Give us clarity. Give us courage. It comes from you, God. We ask you in this place, God, as we walk out of these doors. Thank you for bringing everybody here this morning. Thank you for what you've done. 
And bless us as we go. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good week.